Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Last Stop Waterfowl Outdoors. On this week's show, we have a jam-packed episode, so we hope you enjoy it. So sit back, relax, grab a cold beverage, and let's talk everything there is to know in Louisiana outdoors. This episode of Last Stop Waterfowl Outdoors podcast is brought to you by Beaver Creek Game Calls. At Beaver Creek Game Calls, all of our calls are handcrafted and held up to the highest standards. Our goal is to provide a quality custom call that every hunter can afford. We strive every day with this goal in mind. We also take pride in our customer service because without you, we wouldn't be able to do what we love and that is to make quality custom hunting calls. All of our calls are proudly made in the USA. Visit us online at beavercreekgamecalls.com and let us build your next call. This episode of Last Stop Waterfowl Outdoors Podcast is also brought to you by SRD20 Boat Products. It shouldn't be hard work. SRD20 products use advanced nanotechnologies in its formulations explicitly designed for boat maintenance. From boat waxes for detailing to waterless washing wax products, SRD20 has boat care products that keep your boat protected from the elements and looking brand new. Visit them online at www.srd20.com and enter promo code LASTSTOP for 20% off all SRD20 products today. Everybody, good morning and welcome back to another episode of Last Stop Waterfowl Outdoors Podcast. I'm your host, Jacob Robry, and I'd just like to take this time to welcome all of you back to the show, guys. We are getting close. We have duck season just around the corner. For those of you who love some good early season teal hunting, uh, we are just a couple of weeks away. I know here in Louisiana, guys, we open up right at the beginning of September. Uh, and most of you across the United States and the flyaways, you guys are also getting ready to kick off teal season. So I'm looking forward to this episode. This is kind of the uh, inaugural waterfowl season uh, episode that we're doing to kind of kick things off for the 2022 season here on Last Stop Waterfowl Outdoors. And as as always, we have a guest with us just about every episode, guys. And one of my good friends, you guys that listen to the show, you're very familiar with him. Mr. Roland Cortez uh, is going to be joining us here on the, uh, this episode, guys. We're going to be talking a lot of uh, waterfowl. Um, as far as looking at this upcoming season, starting with till season, um, they had numbers released this week from Delta Waterfowl and Ducks Unlimited. Uh, so that's some interesting data that came out this week as compared to 2019 when they did the last survey. And uh, we're going to talk about that. We're also going to talk about Roland. He just uh, took a trip up to Arkansas in the last month or so for a, a, a duck calling, spec calling contest. We're going to run him. Uh, let him run you guys through that as far as how that went and how he did and kind of what all goes into those big events like that. So we have lots to talk about on this episode. And I thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to join us and listen to two average Joes talk about waterfowl hunting and the outdoors here. Uh, so thank you so much again. But let's, without further ado, let's go ahead and let's bring Roland in with us. And we're going to get started, guys. We're going to kick this thing off and uh, we're going to start talking waterfowl to get you guys kind of fired up for the season, hopefully. So here we go. Hey, Roland. Welcome, buddy. How you doing this morning? Morning, Jacob. I'm doing fine, man. It's, it's Sunday morning. That's right. Nice. It's Sunday morning. That's exactly it's right. Morning. It ain't raining yet, so can't really complain about it. 
Not yet, at least. We, uh, it seems like South Louisiana, we get the rain every every day. And a lot of places aren't getting rain right now, so they're uh, they looking for rain. Yeah, and that's pretty much um, looks like a lot of places that have been in a drought, like you know, Texas, going to get a lot of rain next week, you know, even parts of Arkansas. You know, everybody needs a little rain this time of year. That's Crops right, man. You know, time, a lot of people are harvesting their rice right now, you know, so – you know, maybe too yep. much rain might not be good for the rice. No, that's right. I grew up in them rice fields, and too much is not good. But you, it, it's a fine line on what you need as far as the rice fields go. But uh, I know here in South Louisiana, we've been getting it pretty good all year, and uh, and and that's hopefully going to be good for us for the upcoming uh, waterfowl season. It don't look like we're in any kind of shortage of, of water, that's for sure. So, but man, how you been doing? I know we the last time we talked. Uh, I'm going to say this, by popular demand, we brought you back for the kind of, I was telling the listeners, this is the inaugural uh, waterfowl kickoff episode kind of for the 2022 season. And, uh, and man, every time we get you on, we get a lot of people that, uh, that enjoy the episodes with you on. So thank you first and foremost for coming back. I know you have come on numerous episodes with us and uh, we always appreciate it. But the listeners love to, love to hear what you got to say, Roland. And I know we're going to talk about some stuff today. Well, I'm, I'm glad that I can contribute to everything. You know, I mean, I'm, I may not be a biologist, but, I mean, I know a little bit about it. That's right. you in the field. So uh, some of the best reports we could give are the guys that are actually in the field constantly, and you're one of those guys, man. So so since we last talked, kind of what's been going on, man? What's What's been uh, – as far as – I'm sure in the summertime you work in full-time, you have a full-time job. You're not guiding, obviously, in the summertime. But uh, what's been going on with you and kind of what's the plans for this up- upcoming Man, much, I mean, I, I have a day. Um, I mean, just working, you know, just waiting on duck season. Um, besides that, you know, I had a bunch of home projects to do this summer, kind of what I did um, besides work. And, you know, now we're, what, 15, 14 days away from dove season. So we're going to be dove hunting pretty soon. And um, I'm looking forward to that. And, you know, teal season right around the corner. I seen my first little flock of teal uh, on the 15th or the 16th. So I, I was pretty pumped up about that. Yeah, that when you start seeing those first few flocks of teal, man, that gets everybody kind of fired up. I know I did some scouting last week. Uh, me and Jackson went out. We we went out to some public land areas, and we saw a couple of teal. But uh, I have a good friend of mine who lives on, on uh, public waterway not too far from here where we are in Gonzales, and he told me he's been out in the lake. He's retired. He's been out in the lake uh, this week, and he said he saw numerous flocks of teal showing up. So that's that's a great sign, man. That'll get you fired up pretty quickly. Oh, definitely. I mean, and there's more to come. If we can get some more little little northern, little north wind from the north and another full moon, we'll get, a, we'll get another push of teal. I mean, I don't want to see my teal here too early. You know, I like to see a few, but I want that biggest push to come when the season's open. That's right. That's right. Because uh, those of you who teal hunt on a regular basis, you know, every year, you know that them teal could be here one day and then they're going the next. So, like you said, you don't want to have them show up too early, Roland, because we need them right around the opener uh, for the season. So that's that's something. Hopefully, you know, we haven't got that. I wouldn't say that real cool spell yet that or, or that, you know, enough dip, dip in the temperatures to make a huge difference yet. But I'm hoping that comes in maybe the next week and a half to two weeks here in uh, in South Louisiana. And another thing, you know, we're in August, man. I mean, we're in prime hurricane season, so I'm hoping them things stay away this year. I'm I'm not looking forward to another one. 
Man, don't you jinx us like that, Roland. Don't even bring that up right now. I'm trying not to, but it, it was brought up the other day. I said, man, I said, hope them things stay away. Yeah, yeah. You know, they, they're talking about all this, how it's not been real active in the tropics this year. They got something with some African dust they're talking about coming off of Africa that's kind of keeping it quiet out there. I don't know all about that type of stuff, but all I know is we don't need another hurricane like we had last year around this time, you know? Well, in the later we get into y'all, I mean, August and September, man, you know, we live in South Louisiana and it's, it's that time, you know? I'm, yeah. I mean, it's been a good year as far as weather. We got, you know, we were dry, hot. Then we got, you know, in the July and August, we've been a wet month. It's just been a weird, a bit weird years. I mean, as far as weather-wise. Yeah, it has. And to be honest with you, you know, as far as temps go, August hasn't been as hot as it uh, as it normally is. We've kind of had it, you know, not too, too bad. You know, I, I was spoiled, you know. I mean, we had these cool days, and then last week we were back up in the mid-upper 90s, and we were back in these heat warnings at work. And I said, man, I said, I, I, I don't miss sometimes. I know, I know. Well, I don't think any of us want to – too much part of that either so well i know you mentioned you've been working quite a bit uh that's your normal summer schedule but uh man recently you had some time to break away and head north a little bit uh you, you went up to arkansas for an event that was going on up there so kind of let's talk about that a little bit man Where, where'd you where'd you go and what you were participating in let's talk about it well delta had the duck hunters expo in little rock Arkansas, this is the first one they ever had. They may have had 400 vendors there. So, you know, pre-COVID, you know, these shows were going around all over, but, you know, uh, Delta brought it back. It was a really great show. A lot, I met a lot of people in the industry that I haven't seen in a few years. And um, I worked the booth with uh, with Bill with Riceland and um, American Waterfowl. So I got a chance to meet a lot of people and um, talk ducks like I like to do. Yep. Yeah, it's good to see these shows coming back, Roller Man, because after a two-year layoff, everybody's kind of ready to get back out there and kind of get back to, you know, doing the shows again. And you're starting to see a lot of the shows uh, across the country come back now. And that's a great thing, man. It's good to see that happening again. And I know everybody's ready to get out there and participate in it. But uh, but it seems like you you kind of – you still have that passion for these calling contests. Uh, I know you, you kind of made your name coming up. For those of you who don't know Roland – that well Roland has made a, a hell of a name for himself throughout the years as far as getting involved in the duck hunting community coming up in calling contests kind of got you start right Roland as far as that goes into the duck hunting community um and and, and from yeah. calling you know and, and that's pretty much you know kind of how I got started man you know um just wanted to be a better duck caller and started practicing a lot started entering some contests um, lost a, lost a bunch, but I've, I've also won a few and, um, I'm very passionate about it. I don't do it much anymore. I only blow in a handful of contests a year. And, um, this is one of them, which in the world, uh, cut down contest, which, um, I've done really well in the past, but I haven't really practiced much, man. I, I kind of just picked up my call a little bit and, and, um, Blew a little bit before the contest to do a little practice. The best I'd done was in 2019. I was uh, first runner-up in the world cut down, which I was only, you know, beat by a point. So it wasn't bad. When I practice a little bit, I actually do pretty good at these contests. And I, and I was happy with my – with the way I, I ended up in this contest. You know, I, I was uh, – I ended up in sixth place. 
I blew five rounds. I was in two call-offs. Um, so I was happy. You know, I mean, uh, we had 34 callers in this contest, some of the best gut-down callers in the world. So, I mean, I, I was very happy with my placing. That's awesome, man. Yeah, especially for not practicing. It sounds like you had a pretty good show. But uh, I get, I assume it's kind of like riding a bike. You kind of never really forget. You go back to what you normally do, and and you do the best you can, you know, at that time. But, you know, these big these big calling contests, Roland, for those of us like myself, I've never been involved in, a, in a, or been to one of these big events like that. Kind of walk the listeners through what goes into that as far as how how the how's the uh, the format of that. Uh, you know, is there multiple rounds that you got to go through or, you know, how many people are typically involved in, in, in you know, one of these these big calling contests like you're in? In, in a contest, you know, you're going to you're going to there's three rounds. You know, okay. there's first round, second round, third round, and then they're going to score you first round 70 to 80, second round 80 to 90, third round 90 to 100. So an average base is you know a 75 first round and that'll you know that'll get you a 224 225 and and that's really pretty good which i'm probably a little high right there on it but and that's kind of how they go you know you go through rounds um and they'll cut people as your scores get low if you got a low score then you'll get cut which they throw out your high score and they throw out your low score so you got five judges back there so um that's kind of how it goes you know they and it goes up through there, and the highest score makes it to the next round, which I scored really good the first round. I think I was there a 228 or a 229, which was really good, which had me in the you know in in the top five the whole time. Which I think the best was a two was a 230 first round. So I was right there and did the same thing, but I was kind of tied up going into everything, and then uh, the first call off. It was four callers in the call. Then after that, it was two of us. So we battled it out. And um, I think my buddy Devin uh, got me by two points, three points, which his flow was better than mine. My flow wasn't that good after blowing five times. So, you know, I was, get, I was getting a little – I'm getting a little slow in my old age there. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you're moving a little slow, man. I know what you mean there. Trust me. Them young, them young boys got some lungs on them. Yeah, they do. They got all that air, man. When you're young like that, you got that air. So, uh, yeah, I, I want to say I was the oldest one blowing in the contest. I don't because they didn't really have any older guys than me blowing in it. You know, it, it it's it's a young it's a young man's sport. So, what kind of calls were you blowing? If you don't mind me asking, what let's, let's tell me what you blowing brand wise and what kind of call? In, in in a cut down contest, you have to have a cut down contest is if, if a lot of people are familiar with it they're based off of an oat d2 or an oat keyhole okay one of the classics i want to cut you can't just blow any call and it has to go by specs so a lot of times you know they'll check your call um to make sure that it meets the spec of a cut down calling concept which everything is best based off of a modified pso which there's a lot of people that cut them and and modify calls to to, to blow. So me, I was blow, a, a good friend of mine, Devil Singleton, up in Bernice, Louisiana, builds a call. It's called Singleton Game Call. And he blows. He makes cut downs. He makes spec calls, and he makes a regular J frames up call. And I was blowing his original, 
um, in the contest, which this is, this is only the second time I blew this call. I blew it at Simmons back in May, which I did really good the first round. I got cut the second round because I had a little bobble in my, in my comeback, which, which was probably my fault because I did, I didn't put the air. I put too much air in it at the wrong time, which we got that taken care of me and Devin worked on it and, and we got it fixed to where that didn't happen again. So going into you know, the worlds, I, w- I was ready for it. I just wish I had practice a little more. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, Singleton Game Calls, that's a brand that I've heard of, uh, some good things that people have talked about, man. You know, what fascinates me, Roland, is there's so many there's so many damn uh, companies here in Louisiana that make phenomenal duck call products. You know, there's a lot of great companies, man, you know? There is. I mean, when it comes to duck calls, man, there's a lot out there. You know, and, and, I, and I'm still you know, learning about these calls, and I'm actually trying a lot of new calls. And man, look, there's a lot of really good duck calls, really good duck and snack calls out there. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that, man. A few years ago, I was thinking, I said, you know, when I was, I was kind of getting into the whole uh, last stop waterfowl concept and getting ready to get that going, and I was thinking about getting into the duck call side of it a little bit too. And man, when I looked around and I kind of did some research, I looked into all the companies that were out there, and I said, you know what? That's a market I said that uh, that is heavily saturated, you know. And it, there's so many companies making calls now. That, that's just something I decided to stay away from. I figured I'd let the experts kind of handle that. But uh, but yeah, we're here in Louisiana, man. We got a lot of great talent. Uh, we talked about that before. But uh, especially when it comes to you know traditional duck calls, you know goose calls, that type of stuff. You talk about companies, you know, um, like Fox Game Calls. You have uh, Duck Commander been doing it for years. And many, many others. Now you got Mr. Uh, Dale Bordelon with Bayou Beast that's been making a big name for himself over the last couple of years. And uh, and like you said, Riceland's been doing it a long time. There's a lot of great companies out there. And I know I know you've been blowing uh, or been working with Riceland for some time on the on the goose and spec calls, correct? Yeah, Bill. I mean, Bill Daniels is a good friend of mine. He makes you know some of the best spec calls you know I've ever I've ever used. And there's a lot more out there. But Bill's just been good to me, and um, he's a new line of duck calls coming out that are really good. I mean, it, it just came, and um, you know, Bill makes some really good calls, and I try to stay local with my company. I mean, Bill's right there in Hayes, Louisiana. Yeah, which I try to keep them local, and and I, I mean, I blow a wide assortment of other calls. You know, I blow Duck Commander. I blow, you know, I've got some old folks, but then to or probably what I kind of what I use on a daily basis and you know they get the job done for me so I just I stick with them and you know and you got a good company behind you I can call these guys and say man look I need this I need that and they'll they'll send it to me as quick as they can get it out to me and that goes along yep it goes a long way and it's some great relationships you know And, and we like that too because you know, we get a lot of people, they'll contact me and they'll say, man, what kind of calls do y'all blow down there in Louisiana or what are y'all using, you know, especially a lot of younger younger hunters, you know. They'll reach out and, and they're, you know, with social media nowadays and all that type of stuff, they'll reach out and they'll say, man, you know, what do y'all, I guess they, they kind of, you know, look for advice if they're getting into the sport and that type of stuff and they'll, they'll ask us what we blow. And I tell them, I say, man, I blow multiple different brands. Uh, you know, we do have a relationship with uh, Patrick Irkfitz over at Beaver Creek Game Calls. He's been good to us uh, as far as the relationship goes. He makes some good products that we like. Uh, but that's not – I tell people, I say that's not all we blow. You know, what? 
Like I'll I'll move certain calls in and off the lanyard throughout the season, depending on where I hunt or kind of what the ducks are responding to, that type of stuff. So we'll use you know brands like Bayou Beast and other other brands like that as well. So it, we're not we're not specific to one company just to uh, just to say we're using that product. We we are versatile with different brands, and, and I think most hunters we got to be like that. Don't limit yourself, man, because there's a lot of good products out there that get the job, you know, that'll do just as good a job as these big major companies. That's right. Yeah, I agree with that 100%, Roland. I, I really just, do. Uh, uh, Jacob, you know, I try to buy my sporting goods local, everything, you know, just to keep it in the state. Yep. That, that local support's big. That is, that is, you know, supporting them local businesses now, especially with the way things are price-wise and, man, Man, you know, I was talking about shotgun shells yesterday with a good friend of mine. And those of you who hunt, you know how hard it has been to get shotgun shells over the last two seasons. And, uh, man, I, I've been looking around a little bit lately and kind of all year long throughout the summer rolling. And it, it looks like it ain't going to be much better this year. If, you look, if you're in need of some shells, you better jump on it early this year. Yeah, I mean, um, speaking local, I mean, I know Simmons Sporting Goods and Bastrop had a lot. I mean, a lot of ammo. Even a local store right here in, in the uh, Baton Rouge area, Bowie Outfitters had a good supply. When I went last week, I actually picked up a couple uh, boxes of low brass steel shot because that's pretty much what I hunt teal with. And they had a pretty good supply of, um, of ammunition at Bowie. I mean, I didn't see any 410, but there was a good bit of 12 and 20. I seen some 28 gauge. I mean, I don't know how much they had, but they had a loop. They had some on the shelf. You know, you mentioned 410. That's kind of funny. I had a guy reach out to me, and he said uh, through social media, and he said, man, he said, look, I'm trying to get my, my son uh, into duck hunting. He's been coming with me the last two years, he says, but he hasn't shot. You know, a, a shotgun here wasn't ready to shoot yet. He says, but this year, he says, man, I'm trying to uh, trying to get some – kind of get him set up to kill his first duck this year. And he said, uh, he said, I bought him a 410, not realizing how hard it was to get 410 shotgun shells. He said, and still shot. He could not find Steel Shot 410 anywhere. And he told me, I said, I said, well, I said, go to places like Boss Shot Shells, go online, go to Simmons Sporting Goods. I, I kind of recommended those places. And I mentioned to him Bowie as well, because Bowie does a pretty good job of keeping certain things in stock. Um, and he told me, he says, man, he says, I I'm just going to say it like this. He says, if I can't, uh, he, the guy straight up told me, he said, if I can't find uh, any kind of Steel Shot, he says, I'm not going to stop him for a month. He said, he's going to have to shoot lead. He said, in a 410 shell this year. And I, I was laughing. I said, man, you might not want to do that. He says, well, man, I can tell you this. He says, I'm not going to deny my son the opportunity to hunt. He says, because we can't find shells, you know, for, for him out there. And that's a dilemma a lot of people are probably faced with with a young hunter right now because I know with my son, my, my youngest son, Hudson, he's at the same, he's an eight-year-old you know, eight kid right now. And I'm trying to get him into it. And thank God I had a little bit of steel 410 that Jackson was shooting a few years ago. Not much of it, you know, left over. But I have some that he could use enough to, you know, maybe shoot his first bird this year or whatever it is. But if you're trying to get a youth hunter into it right now and you, you're you thinking about buying a shotgun for him, man, a 410 might not be the, might not be the way to go right now. No, I'd go with a 20 gauge. Even the 20 gauge ammo was a little tough last year, but I'm glad to see there's a jump on it out there. Yeah, yeah, and I and I, I bought a 20 gauge last year for me to hunt personally with a new one, and uh, I was able to find some rolling, but it was a little tougher on 20 gauge definitely than than 12 gauge, you know. Yeah, um, 
last year was, but uh, I'm stocking up a little bit at times. But look, I'm, I love my 20 days. I've hunted with it, I don't know, probably 50 days out of 60 last year. I mean, I love my 20 days, and I'm looking forward to shooting it again. I'm going to shoot it for doves. I'm going to shoot it for teal. I shy. I even kill a few speckle bellies with it, but this year I'm looking to shoot more speckle bellies with my 20 gauge. Yeah, I, I'm not going to lie to you. I enjoyed it, man. Over my 12 gauge last year when I bought it, I, I took it on some hunts, and uh, it's just, man, the, the reduction in the weight that you got on the guns, the the just the handling, the carrying, the swing, everything about the 20 gauge, I really liked, and uh, and that's something that's been kind of catching on more and more with a lot of uh, experienced hunters over the last couple of years. You're reading about guys that are going to 20 gauge shotguns instead of their 12 gauges. And man, after Hunwood, rolling to be honest with you, I see I see some of the uh, the advantages of going to a twenty gauge. It has no recall. Yep. Uh, you know, and and um, I don't shoot three and a half anyway. I don't see nothing out there that I need to shoot a three and a half inch shell at. So, you know, twenty gauge and a, a three inch, a two or four, depending on what I'm shooting. Preferably, man, if I'm shooting ducks, I want to shoot a five. But um, they're a little hard to find. Fours are easy to find in a two. So if I'm if I'm shooting geese and ducks, I'd rather shoot a two shot just for the geese. But I'm not scared to shoot a speckle belly with a four if it's close enough. But four shot is pretty much what I like to shoot ducks with. Yeah, I'm still old school too. I like that. I remember dad always shooting number fours. And I know things have changed, Sean, but I still look for that number four but, if I could get it, you know? <clears throat> now, if I'm shooting little ducks like teal, man, I like sixes and sevens. But you yeah. can only blow brass now. Uh, boss makes a number seven shot <coughs> in tungsten, man. That's gonna be a bad duck, <coughs> a bad duck load. Yeah, yeah, that uh, that tungsten don't play around, man. I've hunted with that a couple of times, and uh, I actually have an old school. And I, I may have told you this before, but I purchased a couple of years ago an old school Ithaca, old uh, crack barrel, double barrel, and uh. That's that's what I've been looking for to kind of get into some 20 gauge tungsten, which that's even harder to find, to be honest with you. I checked Boss's website all season long last year and it was sold out all year long. But I haven't got to hunt with it yet. And I'm kind of disappointed with that. I wanted to make make an old school hunt with it, you know. Yeah, and that's what I try to do too. I'm I've got a my dad gave me his old uh, 1100, which I can't shoot steel shot of it. So I'm going to shoot some balls out of it this year. All I want to do is shoot a limited speckle belly with it. So if yeah. I can do that, I know I will. I'll be done. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Hey, you know, and a lot of people are interested when they hear us talking. They, they, like I talked about a while ago, they have questions. So brand-wise, what, what what's Roland Cortez have brand-wise? What kind of shotgun do you shoot? Uh, what I know you mentioned maybe, you know, alternating between a couple of different guns and stuff. But but what's the what's the brand of gun and what kind of model do you shoot, Roland? Throughout duck season, Benelli, you know, I shoot a Benelli Super Black Eagle. Um, as far as my 12 gauge, which I've been having it for, I don't know, 20, I don't know, 25 years, something like that. And I bought my uh, oldest son uh, a 20 gauge a few years ago, which is a Stoger. And, uh, you know, he moved up to a 12. And so I still shoot that 20 gauge Stoger. And um, I like the 20 gauge Stoger. I mean, a lot of, I put many rounds through it. I shoot, um, a Pattern Master, Anaconda, full, and uh, a mod through it during hunt season, depending on the weather. And I've had, I've had any complaints with the Tony Gage Stover. I mean, it, it's ejected two and three quarter, three inch. And I, I don't, I'm very bad on not cleaning guns because I like to see how far I can push a shotgun. 
so I didn't clean it much. And I mean, it, it never misfired, never it ejected all year. Too matter, matter if it was rain, sleet, snow, mud, it it kicked the shell out. So I'm I'm happy with that Stoger. Yeah, that's actually the 20 gauge that I purchased last year. I went to Cabela's right here in Gonzales, and uh, man, I ran across one that was in the gun library. If you ever been in there, any of you visit a Cabela's, you familiar with the gun library? And they had one that had uh, they had purchased from a, a, a gun show or something. It was basically brand new, and I purchased it, and it was the Stoger 20 gauge rolling that I got. And man, that thing, I love it. It's been so far, it's been flawless for me. Uh, I actually, I'm gonna probably do a little squirrel hunting with that this year, but uh. You know, I know, I know we're talking about equipment here and we kind of, uh, you know, delving into that a little bit, but let me ask you an opinion on something. I, I've had this question asked to me and, and you know, I want to get your take on it. Chokes, when we're talking about chokes, there's so many options out there nowadays. What do you see the difference, the biggest difference in, in going with an extended choke on a, on a shotgun versus stock choke tubes and stuff like that? Do you think stock choke tubes still have a, a place in the market for waterfowl hunting, or do you think extended chokes is the way to go? Because you sh you've done a lot of hunting all over the place. You've killed a lot of different species. Well, what's your thoughts on that? This is my thought on it. Pattern your gun. You know, factory chokes are still really good. So pattern your shotgun, whichever choke patterns with the shell and shot you want to shoot, that's the choke that you shoot you know predominantly we shoot a lot of steel shots so you know i, I shoot a pattern master um for steel shot i shoot the um one with the spuds in it that way there it'll it'll catch that wide before the bbs come out and, and, and it does the sh uh, shoot a strain pattern but man just pattern your gun see how well it shoots with that type of ammo and you may not need to get uh, aftermarket choke and then you may need one you know i mean you just got to pattern your gun now when it goes to like if i'm shooting steel shot i'm going to shoot um an aftermarket choke just because i like the choke with spud but if i'm shooting tss bismuth or tungsten the factory chokes probably work better than the um than the aftermarket choke and that's pretty much what i find patterning my gun so why you why you think that is that when you shoot those specific shots that uh, the the factory chokes what's what you find is the difference there? Steel shots hard man, um, TSS bismuth and tungsten is very soft. It's kind of like lead. And back in the lead days, you know everybody shot either a fixed choke in your gun. You bought a gun with a full, and that's what you shot, or you shot the chokes that came with your gun. That's a good point, I guess. Then, yeah, because it is denser, so that that does make a little bit of sense there. So, pattern your shotgun with um, your factory chokes, and you go with the best one if you if you're not getting the pattern that you want out of your uh, chokes that came with your gun. Then you try an aftermarket choke. You know, there's a lot of them out there. Pattern Masters, there's um, Carlson, um, there's Kicks. You know, so there's a few brands out there. But pattern your gun with the chokes you have, and and you go from there. Yeah, the only the only issue I see nowadays over the last two years with, with with you know trying to find that pattern for a specific load is hell with shells being so hard to find like we kind of talked about, man. You you might not be able to use the same shells throughout the whole season if you can't find enough of them or have enough stocked up already. So you may be you may go be going between different loads. You know that would be the only issue I could see nowadays with that. And then again, that's just something that whenever you buy that shell, if you have the time, like if you go to Academy and you pick up some Monarchs. You never shot them before 
if you got time, pattern your gun to shoot it on paper. Shoot one shell, see what it does, and then you move on. And you and you know. Yeah, you just adjust the choke to to the pat to the shell that you got there. So then you also have to adjust your choke to uh, your weather. I mean, if it's real, if it's real windy, you may have to go to a tighter choke. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. That's something most guys don't even think about. You know, so that's a very good point there. If you're trying to get the best uh, pattern out of your gun, so well. Roland, let's kind of delve into some of this information that kind of came out this week, man. We had the annual waterfowl population survey. I know a lot of people have been talking about that. Uh, it was released by Ducks Unlimited and Delta Waterfowl this week. Uh, and this survey basically was, you know, comparing the numbers that they took this year over the last couple of months versus the survey that they did in 2019. Because if you remember correctly, uh, with the pandemic hitting the last two years, they haven't been able to accurately do a survey. Uh, and people were kind of waiting for this, this next survey to be done to see where we were statistics-wise, population number-wise. And, you know, you and I were talking about it before we got on the show here. And, uh, you know, if you look at the initial numbers, it seems like it's, it's doom and gloom kind of type situation. But, uh, but you had, you had a kind of take on it that you were starting to tell me about. And I said, hey, I want you to kind of hold on to that thought and, and let's share it with the listeners on what you saw. Because uh, there's multiple ways to look at that whenever we see these surveys. And some people, some people go and they don't believe, you know, anything from these surveys. They don't think they're accurate. They think that they, they kind of fudge the numbers on some situations. And, you know, it, it, there's a lot of doubters. I'll say that. And, and if you are one of those people, that's perfectly fine. But as a waterfowl hunter that does it year in and year out, we have to kind of pay attention somewhat to these numbers. If, if, you know, it's just like scouting or anything else, you want to be educated on what's out there, what's going on, and, and kind of what feedback they're giving us, you know? And, that, and that's right, uh, Jacob. When I see this survey come out, it's just a base for me, man, just to let me know how the breeding went. That's pretty much it, you know, because it's hard for them to count every duck. I mean – North Dakota, South Dakota, I mean, ducks breed everywhere. So it's hard for them to count, but this is going off the, the Prairie Pothole region. But when I look at this, I just base this off of how many ducks they counted in the breed, in the, the pairs that bred. So going back and look, yes, mallards are down 20, minus 23%. Long-term average, down 9%. So um, I, I mean, I, I think in 2016, I did a little research on it because I've been debating a lot with people and people talking about going back to 30 and 3 or, or a restrictive season and stuff like that. You know, mallards have got up to, I think, 11 or, or, or 12,000 uh, brood pairs uh, one year, which is, you know, back in 2016 or something like that, which is, which is really high. And, you know, your, your gad walls, they kind of went down. Pretty much all, a lot of them, except, you know, your blue wing to you and, and, and your, your shovelers. I mean, um, redheads went up, but what's very um, mind-boggling to me is that um, scalp and your pintail have never recovered um, from the drought of the 80s or the point system. You know, I mean, I don't know if a lot of people are, are, are old enough, but at, when it was the point system, a pintail was worth 10 points, so you could shoot 10 pintails. Yeah, I remember that. 
Now, there is talk next year of a restriction or, or a no pintail or a season within a season. And again, if you had a duck hunted earlier, you know, for 2000 is on up, we had a season within a season for pintails, just like we have for skull. And looking at these numbers, I mean, redheads and camas backs are below your pintail. So why would, when you can shoot two camas backs and two um, redheads, why would they close the pintail season? Because it's, you know, 1,783. I know it's my, but pintails have kind of go up and down, up and down. And, and that's something that I need to ask a biologist on because why? Because a pintail is a more prized duck than a redhead. I mean, I, I like shooting camas backs. Yeah. It's a prized duck to me. So why are, are these two you can shoot two and you can only shoot one pintail? I mean, that's, or talking about closing the season on a pintail. I mean, that would be devastating to a lot of people in South Louisiana, California, where pintails are popular. So that's kind of got me uh, mind-boggling, but there's so many. I mean, I, I was in a lot of conversation with people talking about going back to 30 and 3. I really don't think that'll help us. You know, I mean, I, I really don't see it because predators, predators kill more duck than what hunters do. So if you go back to 30 and 3, the predators are still going to be out there. And look, I'm, I'm all about, con uh, you know, conservation, you know, and, um, but man, I, I just like to take as many days in the field as I can. I mean, I, I ain't got to shoot six ducks. I just like hunting all in days, you know, the more days I'm out in the field and, and stuff like that. But when you look at this, man, it looks bad as far as duck numbers. Yeah. I mean, you go, you, you, you lost 4,000, almost 5,000 breeding pairs from last year but we were in a severe drought last year we had no data for two years because of COVID I was expecting it to be worse than this to be really with you when I when I seen these numbers I'm like it's not that bad but man when you look at your May pond counts from last year to this year that's your silver lining that's next year man I mean that's what you got to look at yeah, I mean, it may not be much, plus four, but, man, as dry as it was last year up there, anything's a plus. That's right. It's on the upswing, no matter what the plus is. So when I look at these numbers, man, all I'm looking at is how many baby ducks are going to survive or how many juveniles are going to make it south. So you look at this, you got 7,000, let's say, let's just say eight, or ten, let's put it easy, 10,000 pairs. If only one duck, one um, baby survives, that doubles it. But you got to figure more than that's going to survive. So when you, I mean, you could still have a pretty big fall flight because they didn't, I mean, ducks nest everywhere, man. So they didn't count every duck, the boreal forest. A lot of ducks go up there. So, but we will know better as you no know, duck season opens up. In Canada, which it should be opening up. If it didn't open already, it should be opening up very soon, the next couple of days. So there is a silver lining to this, man. I mean, because I, I remember, you know, I was in high school 
which you were probably about that time too, you know, um, I think 85 we went, or 86 we went into 30 and 3. Yeah. So I hung all my young days all the way up into high school. And, man, I didn't like them 30 and 3. Yes, they had a lot of ducks, but you had no time to hunt them. But even then they had bad times. I didn't remember shooting three ducks every day, which we did a lot. And you got to pick your ducks because, you know, more ducks made it south. But we had bad days. We had good days. And I'm, I'm, I'm not for a 30 and three, which if we get it, I'll be happy for it. And I had somebody bring it to my attention where, you know, you're speaking on a guy's point as a business. No, I'm not speaking as a business. I'm speaking as a hunter. I, you know, I love the guide, but man, I hunt too. You know, I mean, I have a day job. I work, I work. I mean, guiding is not my only job I have. Guiding is just something I do on the side. So, as a hunter, man, I mean, I just want as many days in the field as I can. But I do see, I mean, if we continue, I can see a restrictive season happening within the near future. I just don't, I don't think it'll be next year. But, I mean, in the near future, we can see it. Because sooner or later, we're going to go into a severe drought up there again. And we could get back to that point. But right now, we just got to enjoy it while we have it. You know, because when you get into a 30 and 3, everybody's going to, just like they do now, oh, man, the season should have been a week longer. The season should have been a week earlier. And that's why I like these 60 days for them. And really, I wish we can keep the 60 days and take away two ducks. I'm, I'm satisfied with four or three ducks, but continue the 60 days. Yeah, and that's a good point you bring up there. Uh, you know, maybe keep that 60-day season, but then drop the limit down to four. I think I think more hunters would be on board with something like that, Roland, than going to that thirty and you know that thirty day season. Because look, the thirty day season is not a popular option for hunters. It's just not. You look at somebody like that works every day. You're only looking at four weekends because you're going to have two weekends in the first split, and you're going to because they're going to put the biggest part of the season in January. So you're going to miss a lot of prime hunting time in december which i tell everybody after i mean after christmas you don't really get any more we don't get no more uh big push of ducks unless we get a a pull of vortex from the from the north and it freezes all i mean most of our ducks come into the state early and they're coming in in the middle of december anything after that is lanyard because i mean we don't really get a big push come january i mean you may get a push from from different areas in the state but you don't get a big push from the north yeah, I know you mentioned last year when you were on previous with me, you said you said you need to hammer them as best as you can first split. You said because after the first split, you said uh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to drop off. Pretty much the push of what we got here in Louisiana is going to be what we got during the first split. And you know what's crazy? And I mentioned that, I mentioned that because when I, was, it, you know, when I was coming up through the years, I'd always hear my dad and them say, hey, the second split's always better than the first split. The second split's always better. Now, we're not in the same time. We're just not, it's different. We talk about that all the time, how different things are nowadays. But you, from what I saw last year, you were, when you said that, it really, it really had me pay attention to that last year. And I agree with you 100%. Last year, it panned out that way. That first split's when most of the birds made it their way down to Louisiana. And then as we got into, you know, January, it just seemed like those birds that were here were either still here or they had, you know, maybe even went back up the flyway a little bit. There wasn't new birds pushing in. 
and there, there's so many variables uh jacob man hunting pressure weather you know distribution of, of water here and there man and, and um it all plays into effect um with, with duck movement and migration but um you know going back to talking about the 60 days you know you can relate maybe some people can't but um 93 we were still i mean some people may not remember we didn't have a teal season for a little while during the 80s during the drought i think it was 88 through maybe 93 maybe we didn't have it so 94 we went to 45 and four ducks you know the population was going up man we were in four or five years or, or 30 and three following year nine we went to 50 and five which was 95 and then in 96 we went into 60 and six and this is what we're at today so if you if you wasn't in your teens where you were hunting i mean some people don't remember that you know if, if you're in my genre you know being born in the 70s yeah. you know we wasn't fortunate like our dads and our grandfathers to be born when you know all these ducks came to louisiana and you can shoot them out your back door you know but I'm very, I mean, it looks like it's gloom with this, man, but you got to see the silver lining in it, you know. And I'm going to say it like I tell everybody else. Support your organization, no matter if you like them or not. Support Ducks Unlimited. Join Ducks Unlimited. Join Delta. Support them, man, no matter what's your opinion on what you think they're doing. We need more habitat on the ground for more birds in the sky, no matter how you look at it. Look, we're losing habitat in South Louisiana and everywhere else. They're losing habitat up north to agricultural corn ethanol man it's a big big deal right now they're forming every piece of ground they can man breeding i mean breeding habitat grasses on the prairies are very um is what we need so support ducks unlimited support delta waterfowl man no matter what your opinion on them they're there to help us without these two organizations and more um there'd be no ducks for us to shoot yeah and they, were, they, they came when uh, the droughts came in the 20s and 30s, wouldn't have been for these these two organizations, man. There'd be no ducks for us to shoot today. Yeah, you're right. And, and I think a lot of people that, you know, through the years, there's so many opinions on Ducks Unlimited and Delta Waterfowl. I've even done a show on that before talking about that. And I agree with you. Uh, and it's the truth. It's just the honest truth. Whether your thought is negative or positive about those organizations, they – for the grand scheme of conservation and for hunters, which go hand in hand, in my opinion, we need those companies or those organizations out there doing what they do, you know, um, because like you said, you're not just competing against, you know, you are, you are competing against farmland. So when Ducks Unlimited goes in there or Delta Waterfowl goes in there and buys up some of that land, it's preserving that land for duck habitat, duck conservation, which produces more numbers, hopefully, you know, down the road for us as hunters. So that's very, very important. That's a good point you bring up. So, like I said, looking at the numbers, man, it may look bad, but there's always a silver lining. And like I said, them May Pond counts, seeing that go up, man, is, is a plus. A thumbs up, as Phil Robinson would say. So it looks good, man. I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm very optimistic. You know, I'm hoping there's a lot of juveniles making south. You know, so we have ducks imprint back on Louisiana, but I mean, I'm wishing for the best, man. I'm looking forward to it. I mean, we got dove season less than two weeks. You know, teal season not much longer after that. 
you know, then we get into squirrels and rabbits and, uh, you know, early speckle belly season around Halloween. And man, we're in, we're in full hunting mode right now. I mean, amen. I'm looking forward to it. You know, a lot going on this year, you know, at Dave's Bayou. And um, I'm, I'm looking forward to another hunt. Hopefully we can, we can get together and make a hunt this year, you know, maybe do some teal hunting or, or something. Maybe get your kids up on a youth hunt. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm working on some things. Hopefully we can get them on it. Yep. And, and man, like you mentioned, teal season rolling right around the corner. We a couple of weeks away from that kicking off. And if you're looking at, you know, going back to the survey, if you're looking at numbers, um, I'm glancing at my phone right now, but blue wing teal is up 19% on the survey, man. So that's that's something that's positive for all of us who want to get out there and do some early season teal on it. That is wonderful. I mean, blue wing teal are a, a very uh, big duck here in South Louisiana. And, uh, you know, it looks really good for, for teal season and even, even going into big duck season. You know, man, the teal numbers look great. I mean, I like them 16 days of teal season, so it looks very good. And, um, you know, you got your shovelers and your, your widgeons. Widgeon are, are not dropped that bad. You know, gadwalls kind of took a little hit, which gadwalls are bred and butter duck in, in South Louisiana. So, you know, it's just, it's not that bad. But, man, it's, it's pintails that really, and them talking about closing the pintail season was, was, was really, I love pintails. Pintail and widgeon are my favorite ducks to hunt. And, man, it, it'll be rough to go back within a season of the season because, or even a closed season because we shoot a lot of pintail. You know, pintails were probably out number two duck last year, and we've seen hundreds of them on a daily basis, if not thousands. Man, it's going to be tough not to be able to shoot one or wait till you have a 20-day season to shoot them because that's probably what it's going to end up being. If I remember correctly, I'd have to go back and check my records, but I want to say it was a 20-day season for them. So really going to take a lick, man, If and even California where pintails are their number one duck. I mean, you're looking at a hit. Man, when it comes to no pintails or a season within a season on a pintail, kind of like what they're doing on scalp. I mean, I think you can't shoot a scalp, what, for the first 20 days? Yeah, that's correct. And, and I was a lot of people have questioned that. Like, they, they were not familiar. Because, look, being here in South Louisiana, we have a lot of diver ducks now, more and more every year it seems like we get. And uh, scalp play a big part of that, Roland, you know, as far as what you see. And, uh, you know, people, I've had people question that. They'll talk to me and they'll say, man, why the hell did they limit us on scalp? Because, you know, it seems like you make a hunt anywhere in the coastal regions and it's loaded with scalp. You know, it, it appears that way. But if you look at the numbers of these surveys and kind of the trend over the, the years, that really isn't the, isn't the case, isn't it? Yeah. And, uh, Jacob, I want to ask you a question. When, when you were riding out in the marsh, how many model dogs did you see? Not many, not like we used to. I'm glad that, and I wanted to bring that up to you being at your road in the marsh. I was out in the marsh and, and um, I didn't see a whole lot of model ducks. And you're, me and you were pretty close to the same age. I mean, you remember when you used to be able to shoot six model ducks. Yep. And it went to three model ducks. Now I was down to one. And look, I didn't see many in the marsh. I, I, I mean, not very many to what I, I used to see. And, and I'm wondering if they're hurricanes and uh, habitat loss that um, model ducks may be in trouble. I'm not sure that I, I haven't, I didn't see many, but I've been noticing the last couple of years that I haven't been seeing a whole lot of model ducks. And I'm just wondering if, if, if they're in a big decline. 
Rowan, I would have to tell you 100%, in my opinion, Dan and Decon, because I agree. You don't see them like you used to see them. Uh, you know, like last season, I stayed in the marsh a good bit last year for, for the season. And I think Jackson and I killed a total of maybe four models last year that we shot. Uh, and it's just, you know, we were in an area that typically over the years had numbers of model ducks, you know. Um, and we didn't see them, man. You just don't see the numbers of them. But, and, you know, so I'm going to bring this up. This is something that I thought was a uh, guy had a – he was kind of interested in this guy. where They were talking about whistling tree ducks, and we've talked about that briefly before. And a lot of people are talking about how much they're starting to see whistling tree ducks down here uh, more and more each year. They're staying down here in Louisiana. And they had a guy that brought up a point. He said that from what he, – he had done some research and he was reading um, kind of some, some information on whistling tree ducks. And he said that whistling tree ducks, uh, from what he understood, competed locally against other ducks that stay here like summer mallards, like, you know, uh, that type of species and other stuff. And he said that they're competing for nesting. He said, and they also, he said, feel like they're starting to outnumber and almost become like an invasive species, the word he used. But, you know, a lot of people jumped on him about that term. But uh, that was, I thought that was something interesting that he brought up there, you know, with whistling tree ducks you know, maybe competing for nesting with other ducks like models that stay here year-round. What are your thoughts on that? What do you do with wood ducks? Because if you got a wood duck box and you got uh, whistlers around, they're going to invade the nest. They're going to take the nest over and uh, lay their eggs in there too. But, man, they're everywhere. Them whistling ducks, I'm talking, they're everywhere. You go to the grain elevators along the river, there are literally thousands of them. And if you were – if you kept up with me early in the year, I was working at a place in Donaldsonville right next to the Mississippi River. And there was literally thousands of whistlers come to the, these ponds in the plant in the morning, man. It was clockwork. When the sun would come up, we were pulling up at daylight. They were coming from a grain elevator and it would fill that pond up. And I, you know, I sat there one day when I wasn't doing nothing. And I looked, I glanced at my binoculars and I did not see one bird with a band. I was very upset, man. <laughs> Yeah, because if you, from what I hear, everybody that talks about them, they say, man, we killed them throughout the season. I killed a banded one. I killed them. Yeah, that's got to be the most banded bird that's out there apparently right now. They ban a lot of them and uh, with these whistlers. And uh, they're very, like I said, you get along these green elevators. And if you got a pond in your yard, I got a buddy of mine got a pond, man. They come every day. And he, he's got a couple of them with some bands in there, but they never make it till hunting season. They're always gone by that time. So, you know, of you course. shoot them. You know, because they don't stay here for hunting season. But um, they vary, man. I mean, there's a lot of them. I kind of wish uh, – I know Ed talked about it um, a few years ago that by uh, maybe putting it in without teal limit, but that never happened. Yeah, so, they, I, I'd love to see that happen. But, man, they're, they're, good, they're a good eating bird. I mean, so – Yes, they, they are. They taste better than most other ducks. They do. We actually killed some last year uh, and the year before at our uh, at our camp in the Chaffalot Basin. And uh, we, we cooked them, man, and they were phenomenal, I'll be honest. And I've mentioned that before on the show, you know. But, it, it, you know, like I live in a, in a neighborhood here in Gonzales, Louisiana. I have a, a big uh, piece of swamp that's right outside my, my subdivision. And we get – me and Jackson will get out there in the evenings. We'll watch wood ducks fly in there to roost and fly out in the morning. But now, Roland, we're seeing whistling ducks every afternoon flying into that same swamp that those wood ducks are going into. And uh, and we noticed that we could see more and more coming. And 
you'll drive. There's a couple of private ponds that are in people's yards that I'll cross going to work between here and Hammond, Louisiana. And uh, they're just sitting there with all the domestic ducks every day. They're sitting around the pond, you know. But I mean, as far as, as habitat for man, the marsh is looking really good. Despite we don't we don't get any uh, tropical disturbances, marsh looks really good. I mean, there's a lot of aquatic vegetation, um, so it looks looking really good for for the marsh. If nothing else happened, you know, we didn't have a lot of high water this year, so the river stayed low. And I got a feeling places like Venice and Chaffee River, I got a feeling that. Um, the aquatics and duck potatoes and all that, I bet you it's looking really good down there, you know, as far as habitat for us. But, I mean, things can change daily here. So, But as of now, it looks looks very good for the migrating teal coming down. Yeah, I agree. I, when I was riding last week, we were out in the marsh. It looked really good, a lot of food. Uh, man, it's almost like the hurricane. I know it hurt a lot of people in different ways, but it's almost like it kind of purged. It, it purged some of these areas in the marsh last year to where this year they got some good, fresh, you know, vegetation that's coming in. Uh, a lot of feed for the ducks from what I saw. So if we could get those numbers, it's in excellent shape from just the, the ride I took last week uh, doing a little bit of scouting. And uh, if it's like that across, you know, all of South Louisiana marshes, then I think, I think it could be something that uh, be a really good thing for hunters this coming season. And it will. Like I said, I, I see it looking good. I mean, habitat's good. So just wait and see what happens. You know, we can only uh, hopefully we get some cool, some early cool fronts. And that way there, it, it'll set us up for, a, you know, a, a decent season again. But that's right. You gotta be optimistic, man. I mean, it didn't even open yet. So you got to be optimistic. You know, you can't you can't look at these numbers from this survey and, and be doom and gloom, man. You just got to we got to roll with it. I mean, that, I mean, these numbers are not 100 so these numbers ain't gonna stop you me or any other body uh, any other person who's a waterfowl hunter from going rolling i promise you that because uh, you know if we were to go which i i just can't see a dropping to a big restriction that bad but if it was to go to a 30 and 3 i mean i'd have to hunt every day <laughs> again just to, to hunt but um i mean I, i'll take whatever the, the feds give us you know that's up to them they're the one that's gonna do these numbers and with the season and also we'll see i mean it's just talk but we'll see what happens next year you know when things come around but seeing these may pond counts up is the silver lining of the of this whole report yeah and i think that's well said on your part so well roland as we're wrapping up this episode man what's the plans for this year are we going to be as far as far as you go um, are you going to be up at Dave's Bayou? Kind of fill the listeners in on that. What's going on with you and with Dave's, or or what uh what you have available this year? Man, we got a lot going on at Dave's Bayou this year. You know, um, uh, we acquired some new property, and um, we've got some other things going on. You know, we got uh, we got some big plans for in the near future. I don't want to re reveal it all right now until it, it actually comes out. But there's a lot of big things going on at Dave's Bayou, and um, Farm's looking really good. You know, we had kind of a, a drought before we, they started getting rain. It's been kind of dry up in north, northeast Louisiana, but farm's looking good. Uh, they started cutting some rice, which um, it's about that time of year. And uh, there's a good bit of doves around. Well, we, we planted some sunflowers for doves, and there is some teal up there. So things are looking good at days by. I'm looking forward to a promising year. You know, business is, is booming up there, you know. 
So I'm looking forward to it. We'll, I'll be up at Dave's in two weeks, back again, you know, to dove hunt. So we did a couple um, big things last year. I, I, I know we don't catch the channel, um, and I want to bring this up, but if you go to Pilots for Pirate, um, <laughs> Pilots for Pirate, Pilots for Patriots, we did a, a hunting show, and I'll send you that link where it was a charity hunt, and they'll tell you more about it. Um, I'll send you that link if you want to watch it um, or you want to post it somewhere. Uh, Dave, it was, it, Dave, a really good perspective of, um, you know, Dave's Bayou and um, what how good the streets are to the uh, local area around there. But, man, things are looking, like I said, we, we've got some, a lot of big things coming up. I don't really, really want to say too much because it's, it's not really out yet, but we do have a lot coming on. And, um, you know, bookings are going good. I, I think we were. 80% or probably 90% booked for the year. So, I mean, business is good, but I have a lot. Um, speckle belly season's coming up. Um, I'll go up to Arkansas a little bit and do some speckle belly hunts. I'm not really going to guide much. I'm going to go up there and be some, I'm going to be a guest hunter. You know, I've got some people that want me to come up and hunt, hunt with them and, and just be around them and blow my speck out and, and just talk birds with them. So I'm going to make some appearances up there. Um, periodically too early spec, but I'll be at Dave's Bayou all, all year. You know, and periodically I've got some plans to go to Oklahoma, go to Kansas, you know, do some waterfowl hunting. So, I mean, season's looking promising to me um, as far as everything else, my health-wise and everything else going. So, but I've got a lot of big plans. Hopefully I can go through with them. Well, good, man. That's awesome to hear. Sounds like you got a full schedule ahead of you. I know most of us that hunt throughout the hunting season, we have all that ironed out and planned. But, uh, so I know you mentioned that Dave's has uh, has some spots that are, are possibly open. I mean, if the, if anybody's interested in booking a trip or looking into anything that's available for this season, Roland, where where do they need to go to find that information? I mean, you can go to the website, uh, Dave's Bayou Outfitters and Lodge. I mean, you can look them up on Facebook, um, Instagram, or if you're <clears throat> if you can't. Uh, shoot me a message on uh, Facebook or Instagram, and uh, I'll get you in touch with uh, Miss Street. And uh, that way, there y'all can book y'all a hunt. You know, with us. You know, we got uh, deer hunting, we've got waterfowl hunting, we've got sporting clays. So I mean, there's always something to do there. We have a pro shop and stuff, but man, we have a lot in the works. You know, coming up. You know, um, so. It's definitely looking good. If I mean, we're, we're going to be an all-around uh, outfitter in northeast Louisiana. We're going to do it all pretty much year-round. There's going to be something to do there. So it, it's definitely looking good up there. Well, good, man. Well, thank you for that information. Well, buddy, I enjoyed it. I know we're coming, uh, we're coming up on an hour now that we've been on. And uh, as always, Roland, I appreciate you coming on. Like I mentioned, everybody that I talk to, they, uh, they tell me how they tune into the episodes where you're on, and they love hearing you talk about your experiences, your knowledge, man. You have a lot of knowledge out there. A lot of people, uh, trust me, they're listening. They're listening. So if, if you uh, if you ever want to help anybody, I know you are always willing to do so, and we talk about that on numerous episodes you've been on so far. Man, guys, reach out to Roland on social media if it's youth. You're trying to get involved in learning how to blow a duck call, a goose call, any of that type of stuff. Uh, Roland is, is one of the most approachable people in the industry. You could you could reach out to him. 
and he's always been great about helping others. So, um, man, I, I just appreciate you coming on the show and talking to us, Roland. Jacob, I appreciate y'all, man. I'm very humble, man. You know, I, I was blessed to get to do what I do. And, um, I, and I say it like I said on every show, man, I'm living the dream. You know, I get to hunt 100 days a year, get to work with some of the best people in the, in the business, and I get to hunt with, you know, people, man. I love hunting with kids. You know, I just love passing your tradition on, I mean. Uh, but if anybody's got any questions, I mean, they need help with something, I mean, um, calling, uh, or just want to talk duck, I mean, you can find me on Facebook, you can find me on Instagram, pretty much any social media platform. And I'm more than willing to help them or talk to them about what I see out in the field or they want, you know, reports and, and um, stuff like that. Like, I don't know. I know we didn't do it last year, but, man, I mean, uh, coming up, you know, we can do some midseason, just a little 10-minute quick report, you know, during throughout the season, let people know what's going on. And I know we did some of it last year, but, you know, a lot of things. And I appreciate everybody, you know, tuning into your show. Um liking what I'm saying, you know, and just um, I appreciate them listening to me. You know, I, I know I'm not the best at it, but I try to be in that, and I try to answer everybody's question to the best of my ability. Like I said, I'm very humble that people tune into your show and want to listen to me talk. I can't thank you enough, uh, Jacob, for letting me come on here and tell my story and just talk about what I love to do, man, uh, waterfowl hunting. Well, thank you again, buddy. And, folks, there you have it, man. A great guy, Roland, just a good dude overall. And uh, glad to have you on, man. We'll do it again soon, buddy. Yeah, just let me know. Hopefully we can get together and uh, make us a teal hunt. And then uh, I'm going to work on trying to get your uh, your two kids to come up on, on the youth hunt this year. Okay. Sounds good. Let us know, man. Until then, take care, buddy. We'll talk to you again soon. Thank you, all. Talk to you later, Jake. All right, buddy. Well, guys, there you have it. Uh, hopefully you enjoyed this episode that we uh, brought to you with our guest, Roland Cortez of uh, Dave's Bayou and Outfitters, man. Just an excellent guy, man. And every time, uh, you know, Roland hits me up on a regular basis and he's like, hey, man, I, I want to come on the podcast. I want to come on the podcast. I want to talk to people. This dude just lives and breathes waterfowl hunting. You know, a lot of like uh, many of us, you know. And uh, and he is always wanting to come on. And the listeners, like I mentioned, tend to, you know, like Roland coming on. Uh, he's almost become like a, a co-host of the show, you know, in many aspects of it, because we have him on pretty regular now. And anytime he wants to come on, I'm, I have him on, man. I'm willing to bring him on the show to get you guys uh, up to date on what's going on in the waterfowl world, what's going on here in the state of Louisiana. We talk local stuff as well. So uh, he brings a world of knowledge, and he is just one of the good guys in the industry, which, uh, you know, that's he's genuine, you know, and that's something that you don't always run into nowadays with people. Uh, he never has asked us for anything. Uh, you know, it, it, he wants to just come on, have a conversation, talk waterfowl hunting, and at the end of the day, that's what makes these podcasts so awesome, and that's what makes my job enjoyable on these podcasts is meeting people like Roland, talking waterfowl hunting, meeting all of you who give us feedback on the, on the episodes. That's what we love to do. And that's why we do it, man. So it's, it's awesome. Uh, we just enjoy the time spent with you every time we do an episode. So that's all we got really this week, guys. If, if you don't mind, check out some of our great sponsors that you heard the commercials for on this episode. We work with some great companies um, that we believe in their products. They offer great products uh, to all of us as outdoorsmen. So check them out. We'd appreciate it. 
We have some promos going on with a couple of them. You've probably seen them scrolling across the bottom of the screen if you were watching us on our YouTube channel right here. But we'd appreciate if you check them out, let them know you heard about us uh, or heard about them from us here at Last Stop Waterfowl Outdoors. And until next time, guys, we'll do it again. This is Jacob with Last Stop Waterfowl Outdoors Podcast. We'll talk to you all again soon. Y'all have a good day. Tired of looking for that perfect hunting or fishing boat only to see that it's out of stock at your nearest dealer? Well, welcome to Game Changer Boats. We specialize in custom aluminum hunting and fishing boats. If you can dream it, Game Changer Boats can build it. Top quality craftsmanship and attention to detail is what we guarantee our customers. And we are proudly built right here in Louisiana. You can visit us on Facebook at Game Changer Boats or email us directly at GameChangerBoats at Yahoo.com. Contact Game Changer Boats and let's see what we can build for you. This episode of Last Stop Waterfowl Outdoors Podcast is also brought to you by the Can Cooker. Seth McGinn's Can Cooker is the simplest and healthiest, most convenient cooking system available. The Can Cooker takes the cattle drive tradition of cooking in a cream can and updates it for today's busy lifestyle. Pack the Can Cooker with ingredients and enjoy a mouth-watering, slow-cooked meal in a fraction of the time of normal cooking. Use it indoors and outdoors to cook a healthy meal on any stovetop, campfire, burner, grill, or the new multi-fuel burner portable cooktop from Can Cooker. Visit us on the web at cancooker.com.